Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day. Episode 61 of the Howie Games is what you're listening to. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by Now, this week we are hitting the World Surf Tour. How good? With a man universally known... What are you doing? Trying to do the podcast. Sorry. Freaks. Who are you doing it with? Parko. You know you'll never be as good surfer as Parko. I know I won't be. Neither will you with that. Get out of here. Shut the door. Sorry about that. Now, this week, we are hitting the freaks. The World Surf Tour, our good, with a man universally known as Parko, Joel Parkinson. Now setting up a barrel. Joel Parkinson waits for it. Stalls one more time. Gets nice and deep. Passes Pupo in the pit. And he's going to hang in there. The local boy, loving his lineup in the rain. Joel Parkinson surfs like we all wish we could surf with an easy style, a real grace that is beautiful to watch. Joel on a board, on a wave, it just seems right. But for all his artistry, Joel's is a story of hanging in there when many would have given up. Four times, four times, Joel was runner-up in the world title race. Four times, his dream was crushed. Four times, he watched someone else lift up the trophy. But in 2012, Joel did fulfil his dream. And it'd be fair to say he's continuing to live it. This ep was recorded in conjunction with Network 10 Sports Tonight at Joel's house on the Goldie. Then at Joel's brewery. Yeah, his brewery, you heard right. Parko, his surfing mates Mick Fanning, Josh Kerr and B Durbridge and others own Bolter Brewing. A series of very, very tasty, crispy little beverages. Very nice, so you should check them out. So what does Bolter mean? It means to dance freely with no skill or grace. <laughs> Something you're so, good at? Uh, well, after a few bolsters, I'm really good. I'll have what one of those gonna, with you. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I? You're about to retire. That's hops, is it? Yeah. Right. You're cool, quite the beer guru now, aren't you? <laughs> not really. It's probably not even hops. <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, they were not hops at all. Parko still learning his way around the brewery. But yes, he does surf for a living and yes, he does own a brewery. As I said, he's continuing to live his and to be fair to say, a few others' dreams because Joel Parkinson wasn't prepared to settle for second. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion The legend, Joel Parkinson, uh, not long ago you said you were retiring from professional surfing at the end of the year after Pipeline and to me you look like a man pretty at ease with the decision. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was felt like a weight off my back, you know. Uh, it's it's got to a point, you know. I, I can honestly say that I've I've had enough of competitive surfing. Surfing's always going to be there. I'll always surf till the day that I can't get up and surf. Um, but yeah, competitive surfing is it's a, just another element of surfing, and I've had enough of that. And, and I can say I've left no stone unturned with it. I'm. So happy for my decision. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the next chapter of it. It's an exciting time, obviously, but every surfer in Australia will think, wow, this guy's giving up what they would view as the perfect job, surfing the perfect waves with one other person. Is it difficult to give it away? Yeah, certain aspects for sure are a little harder. Um, you know, the one thing is you get... One thing I will miss is that you go to the best breaks in the world and you go, you wait for them to get good, yep. and you paddle out in the heat, and you get priority over any wave you want. <laughs> that part, for sure, I'll miss. Like knowing you're at say, you're at Pipeline or J Bay or Chope or some, some one of the best waves in the world, and you have the right to catch just with one other bloke any wave you want. But I won't miss the fact of putting the jersey on and, and preparing for competition, you know, mentally, all those things. You know. Being a competitor in any sport is. It's, you know, when you invest so much into it, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And um, over time, I guess it just takes its toll and you kind of get to a point after, you know, it's been 18 years and I've gone, you know, I've, 
I've had a gutful of that. I, I don't enjoy it as much as I used to, the competitive side. I just want to enjoy the actual surfing side. So with the competitive side, was there a moment, Joel, where you thought, I'm not up for this driving competition that I've lived for nearly 20 years? Yeah, there was, it was just, it wasn't, a, I wouldn't say it was a, a one second moment, but I could feel it slipping, you know, the, the will to win, all that kind of drive to, to make sure, you know, be, in, be that dog fight kind of environment, you know. Um, I could feel it starting to just slip away and starting to also find, um, I guess, the, you know, when you're competing, you're always trying to get that pumped up energy, you know, that I was trying to find that uh, enthusiasm, I suppose, for, for competing. Um, so it's, it, it just started to slip. I wouldn't say it was one moment. So are you retiring from professional surfing to spend more time going surfing? I think that's what surfers do. Isn't that weird? How it's, good, though? I know, I know. And they're the things I'll enjoy. Like, you know, just because I won't wear a red, blue or white rashy in a heat, hopefully I'll just surf as much. Or actually, I might even surf more. Um, I'll still can't wait to, you know, through next year, um, see a big swell somewhere and go, yeah, it's, I'm actually free to go and jump on. I'm, you know, this contest isn't going to get to the road of going to get some good waves somewhere else. So sometimes it almost started to feel like contests do get in the road of, of living a normal life. Um, not that they're chasing a swell's a normal life, but just even being home, family and, and, and friends and stuff. Is it going to be hard to say goodbye to so many of your friends that you've seen, well, you've seen generations of surfers come through, you've surfed against them, you've spent a lot of time with them, I guess? Yeah, I suppose. It won't be... I mean, a lot of time I'll still spend with a lot of the guys. Um, I'll still be around, uh, I think, you know, I'll pop up at a few events here and there. You know, I'm lucky enough that we'll always have Snapper Rocks, the event here, and I'll always show my face down there and catch up with all my friends that... I've made on the tour, um, and I'll always go to Hawaii and places where I've got so so many great friends. Um, but yeah, it's there, there's probably going to be some places that I probably won't get back to for for quite some time. And uh, there's there's definitely people there that I'll miss. But hopefully, at some point, surfing's one of those places where one of those things that your paths seem to cross because you're kind of chasing the same thing, and that's a you know a good surf somewhere. You were packing your bags as we came in this morning and just quietly, how, how many surfboards do you have out there in your garage? <laughs> I've got a few here or there, you know. I was actually thinking this morning, going, for the last how many years, everywhere I've gone, I've left boards, I've got boards there, and, I, and I've just realised today, I went, oh, it's my last year. I've, I've left a tonne of boards there and a tonne of boards there. I've probably got, I'm off to Tahiti, I've probably got... 12, 15 boards in, in the storage over there, and I went, oh, how am I ever going to get those home? So, <laughs> so if you I might have to go back just for that. If you collected all your boards in your garage, in your factory and around the world, give me a general number. Of boards? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I think one year I, I did... I, I've slowed right back, you know, this, these years I've probably, you know, I've probably had between, say, 35 and 40 boards a year. Uh, at some points it was 100. Some guys are in the 120s, 150s of boards a year. Right. So um, wow. you, know, you order a batch of 10 probably monthly uh, at some people. You know, I probably order two or three. Right. And how did you feel packing to go away on what will be probably your fourth last trip in your professional surfing career? Yeah. It, uh, at the start, I was unzipping the bag, I was dreading it, but now I guess uh, one of those things where you think, I'm only going to do this for three or four more times, I'm going to pack this bag for, for the, I always pack a surfboard bag wherever I go and travel for a surf, but for packing for each equipment and make, for each size of waves and conditions, and you've got to think of so many variables, and it, it was, it was a, I guess a surreal feeling to know, you know, after, you know, 20 years almost of surfing contests of almost 200 majors events and now there's only four left on it's it's a good feeling i'm glad it's a good feeling for you it must be an enormously exciting time for you and your family joel you've, you've got a family that are growing up quickly it must be exciting to think about what the next chapter is definitely yeah I, i've got my uh, my kids are you know they're not getting any younger so it's going to be really nice to 
would come home at Christmas, basically, you know, put my feet in the sand here for a while, let my bags get some dust on them and, and just be a part of, you know, not just my household, but, you know, my town. And it feels like when you, when you kind of come in for two or three weeks and then you're out again for two or three weeks or five weeks or, you know, you, haven't really, you don't really spend more than a, a two or a three-week gap ever at home. Um, it's just going to be nice to, to actually stay home and, and feel what it feels like, you know, and be... My wife will probably sick of me in a few weeks and just say, can you just, just go down the coast for a second? Do you want to rejoin the tour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be like, I gave him the spot up, mate. <laughs> How do you think it'll be when, uh, well, the first event will be here at your home break, but next year, in the middle of the year, when you're sitting there watching these perfect waves going through J-Bay or Hawaii or France or Portugal, what's that going to do to Joel Parkinson? Um, I think, you know, I'll always be a surf contest fan, so I'm excited to watch. Um, especially at some of the ways, you know, if Snapper gets good, I'll get to watch here live. Um, I'll hopefully get to Hawaii, I'll be watching Pipe live, I'll get to, you know, watch the other events. I always watch events and I'm always going to be a surf fan, uh, especially the way surfing's going. The, the amount of talent that is on the tour is one of the reasons I'm getting off too. Like it's, mm. you know, they're getting unbelievable. You know, it's what's happening in surfing is I'm glad I'm leaving because it's in really safe hands. Well, talking about that, it is a completely different sport that the sport you entered 20 years ago watching the young surfers, John John, Toledo, Medina, the Brazilian guys. It's, it's like watching a different sport, Parker. Medina reappears down the line and now goes for the alley-oop, landing in the flats into a layback, and he will recover. Here we go. Movement out the back, Felipe Toledo, what a start to the day. He plugs one of the biggest airs that we've seen in the event. John John goes for the giant alley-oop and sticks it. Throws up the head, says what more do you want? It is, it is definitely. I mean, I, th- I remember though also, like Matt Hoy, when we first got on, myself, Mick, Dingo, and that kind of era, I remember Matt Hoy going, you guys are too good. We're never going to... I'm, I'm out of here, you know, like, I'm never going to beat you. And I guess I feel like the same way now, like, you know, at one point we were, I guess you'd say, pushing the envelope, mm. and now it seems like it, it's kept going and the envelope's amazing right now, so... Does it I'm, blow your mind what you it see? It blows my mind. blows my mind what I see. I see guys do at Jeffrey's Bay on a wave that is particularly known for, you know rail surfing yeah. and all these different, you know, riding the wave, that now they're doing huge flips and oops and air, all, they're surfing above the lip on a wave that when I first started I didn't think was possible. So how do you feel in the competition area when you're out in the next heat and the guys in the heat before you are doing everything above the lip? Um, well, I've always been a bit of a fan of good surfing wins no matter what. It doesn't matter what you do. If a guy does something out... A huge area, it's, and it's amazing. Go for it. You deserve it. If a guy does something amazing on the face of the wave, you know, there's certain places where conventional surfing will always work. You know, yep. bells is always going to be big. Bells is always going to be hard. Tube riding is always going to be one um, at, say, for Chopu. Um, pipes always. Oh, I think for me, pipe is the Everest of our sport, and conquering that and watching that is, is probably still probably going to be my what'll stop me through the year to watch. You know, every December I can't wait for Pipe to come around. So where did all this start for you? Where did Joel Parkinson catch his very first wave? My very first memory of surfing was Double Island Point. Sharky? I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, so back when I was, I would have been maybe four or five years old. It's about as early as I can remember. Just getting pushed in right there at Double Island Point, Rainbow Bay, Rainbow Beach. And, um... Yeah, I didn't, I guess, it probably wasn't until I was about seven or eight years old that I really got the, the surfing bug and then it became just every day. It became, you know, such an addiction to surfing that, you know, from, from such a young age. What was the bug? What hooked you, Joel? I don't know. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. It was almost like I was so young that I just fell in love with it and it's, it's consumed my life. Yeah. And, 
and I'm happy to say it will continue to, like it always will. So when young Joel was at school, how did he balance off what he was meant to be doing at school with looking out the window and thinking about what the waves were doing? <sighs> the balance between school and my surfing was shit. <laughs> <laughs> According to your school? According to my school. <laughs> but yeah, it was hard. No, honestly, surfing in school, it, it was a hard juggle. I was allowed to probably get a few days off when the waves were good here or there because, I don't know, I remember, you know, it was one of those things where um, I used to call my dad a few times and go, Dad, please, like, Kira's pumping, give me the day off. He'd be at work already. I've just got out of the water. I only got an hour. And he's like, hey, are you serious? You can't do And then I'd get probably, you know, here or there, he'd go, yeah, all right. I, I drive past on my way to work and I know it, you know, I know you're not telling lies. I saw Kira, it is pumping and go, go for a surf today. And your father had a background in the water? Yeah, my uncle and father both did and they were all, my uncle was a really good surfer. He um, he was a 1978 Australian champion and kind of that's what, I guess, that's why I was at the beach from such a young age, you know, it was just, I guess it was in my blood to, to be at the beach and learn to surf. Sitting down over the years with your great mate Mick Fanning, it's still clearly in my mind that he described you as the Kelly Slater of 12-year-olds. It's the way he described you. You and him have spent a long time surfing with and against each other, but he said as a young man you you were the man on the beach. Really? Mm. Hmm. We used to always think Dean Morrison was unbeatable um, for a while. I think from about maybe when I was younger, you know, from maybe my 10 years to 10 to 12, I, I probably... They caught up real quick. <laughs> and then uh, um, I think I, w- I was always, um, always used to wonder if I actually had any talent when I was younger, you know. Well, I remember myself and our little rat pack around here in Coolangatta of Mick and Dingo and our little crew we had. I remember Rabbit telling one time we were in the car at D-Bar and Rabbit was just... Being kids, you know, come on, we should go out, yeah, being lazy, you know, like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And we were just dawdling, you know, teenagers. And he was like, you know how many good kids there are in the world that want to be pro surfers? You guys think you got it, you're this. And I remember thinking, oh, there probably is too. And it was a real memory of thinking, oh, and I, I thought that for a few years, like, right. until probably we actually started to travel and surf that I'm expecting we're way behind all these rat packs are in every town and they're way better than us. And um, yeah, as, as time went on, we started to compete and do well. And it wasn't until like, Mick was winning QSs and then we were both won wild cards as events in, um, in the majors. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, it was probably really good advice to be told that, you know, it doesn't come easy and, and so be it. That's where our career started. Do you remember your very first time you competed on a surfboard? My very first time I competed, I do. I remember it, it was on the Sunshine Coast and the Sunshine Coast titles. Uh, there were there were smaller like uh, club events, but my first time outside of that was a Sunshine Coast titles. I was 10, um, it was in the under 13s. How'd you go? I won. Did uh, you? I went on and then uh, won the under 13 Queenslands. Right. And I went to Tasmania. Tasmania? For the, for the final, for the Australian, um, for the uh, Aussie titles, um, and I, I was the youngest by quite a few years, and uh, I don't think I did any good. Maybe made a hit or two, and that was it. You'd be pretty chilly for a man from the old coast. Oh, it was freezing, <laughs> freezing. <laughs> How old were you? And you, you've been a long time man with Billabong. How old were you when you got your first sponsorship? I was 11 years old when Billabong. 11? I was 11. I, and a friend of ours who was sponsored by Billabong at the time had told the team manager, there's a young kid, upcoming kid, you should look at. And... He was, uh, his name is Vince Slaughter, our team manager, and he continued to be for years after. And he was, he was a great guy, like amazing human. And he gave me, I think I got three pair of board shorts and some free billabong stickers. And that was it. That was the first sponsorship. I'd made it. I was was ready to retire from there. (laughs) And that was it. I was good to go. And it's, you know, um, I got something for free out of surfing. What stage in your life, Joel, when you were looking out the window, did you actually come to your mind that you thought, maybe this is what I can do for a job? Um, 
I guess there was a couple of little little ones. Probably one major one was um, that I thought we the pro junior at that time was twenty years and, and younger, and at sixteen, myself, Dave Rastovich, sorry, no, myself, Mick, Darren Rafferty, and we're in a final here at Burley, and when they were all 18, 19 year olds, myself and Mick were sixteen, and myself and Mick battled it out for first and second and kind of won. And then these guys were 18, 19 and they were going on and starting to do well mm-hmm. in qualifying for the tour. And we were still two years below them and we were matching matching with them and I thought maybe... And that was kind of a first little bit of a, a twinkle that I thought, oh, we could maybe make a living. Make a, you know, we could make the tour. Um, and then 18 months later... You know, um, I got a wild card into the Jeffreys Bay event and we, I went on and won and then that's when I realised, you know, our little rat pack might have had a chance at actually, I think we're going to be on tour and, you know, we're going to challenge for, for, you know, a top ranking. We'll get to J-Bay in a moment. If it hadn't unfolded that way, what was the future plan for Joel Parkinson if, if he wasn't surfing? I probably would be on the tools. Right. Um, so was there I wanted any to be. Thought I wanted that? to be a chef. A chef. I wanted to be a chef because I thought I could work nights and surf days. <laughs> Are you any good in the kitchen? Uh, I get by. Right. What's oh, your number one dish? I did a duck ravioli last night. Oh, did you yeah. now? Right. That's pretty good. Not from scratch. Out of the packet. Right, still, that <laughs> ravioli sounds impressive. It was good, though. How are you treated as young men? The grommet scene has always been a big history in Australian beaches and life-saving clubs. How were you treated by the older guys when you were coming up? Um, you were looked after, but you were also earned respect. Like, you, if you were cheeky, there was, there was always a, a quick beat down. Right. Um, you know, I put in wheelie bins and that kind of stuff. You know, there You've was, been there put were, in a wheelie bin? Oh, a few times, yeah. <laughs> um, being cheeky was, you know, I remember one time I was cheeky at an event and I was probably maybe 13, 12, 13, and a few of the older boys grabbed me and they dug a hole and they buried me in sand like this and they all sat on me and then one of them went and found a dog poo and put it under my nose so I sat there with it and I had to I was just and they were like is he going to be cheeky anymore and I was like no no I promise I promise I don't know if I could you probably get child abuse for that today you know, it toughens you up made you a bit thicker skinned and um, today I guess you know the, those guys you know they, they teach you you respect your elders especially I think um about when you're in the water, you know, it's always one of those pecking order things where you always should respect, I think, your elders. And um, so that kind of taught me that from a young age. You mentioned um, Jay Bay going there as a young man, I think it's 1999. Yep. Um, as a wild card. And you won the event. And the world was like, who is this guy? What are your memories of the event? Uh, my memories of the event were quite... I just remember thinking, oh, I won that heat. I can't believe it, you know. I won my first heat. I remember thinking if I can ride away from higher up the point to down lower on the point, I, I had a chance at getting a good score. And my very first wave that I rode, I got a 917 in the event. Of the event? Yeah, the first wave. And I thought, wow, they liked it. <laughs> <laughs> they liked it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in with a shot at making this heat. And then I made the next heat, and then I kept feeling like, oh, you know, it's fine to lose, like, I'm fine with losing because I'm a wild card. I'm meant to lose. And next thing you know, I, I've just got, I got to the final day, got to the quarterfinals, and I had Jake Patterson, and uh, he, he was, like, quite aggressive to serve against in the water and paddled me up the point, he paddled me around and did all this, and it's almost like he paddled himself in a circle and he paddled for this wave, and I could tell it was not a good wave and just closed out on him. He gave me priority, and next thing you know, I, I teed off on one after it, and I got a good one, and I was in my semi, and I was thinking, oh, that's amazing. I've made the semis, you know. I had Rob Machado in the semis, and the waves went to shit, and, oh, sorry, waves went bad. And uh, next thing you know, I, I somehow scraped through, catching a wave almost in the keyhole where you paddle in. Mm-hmm. And I got a four, and next thing I was in the final, and when I got to the final, I had Ross Williams, and... I thought, oh, hold on, all I gotta do is 50-50, flip the coin, I can win this thing. And 
And uh, yeah, next thing you know, I put on a bit of a, I got two really good waves. I backed it up with a third okay wave because I was back when it was three waves. And yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I walked up, I called, I remember I called my dad and I went, dad, dad, I won. This is before there was a yeah. broadcast, before before you could get it on your phone or on TV. Back in the olden days, Joel. Well, dad, dad was early. It was like, I don't know, one, one in the morning, two in the morning at home. And he woke up, he's like, yeah, I saw you made your heat. And I was like, no, the contest. He's like, uh, yeah, you did well, I saw your heat. And I'm like thinking, and you don't know. And anyway, he's hung up. I had to go back going, dad, dad. <laughs> I won the contest. And he's like, oh, wow, yeah, well done. You know, he's pretty cool, but yeah, the next thing you know, I, I don't know, it just catapulted me. I came home and there was um, a lot more attention on, on us making tours because, you know, I guess we were a bit of a force of group. So for me personally, I was like, that, that, that moment was like, if I can win one, I can get on that tour and I can do damage. How did you, as a young man, in South Africa, won your first event. How does Parko celebrate winning at that stage of his career? Um, I'm not too sure. No, I remember we had a bit of a, a rager that night. <laughs> a rager. We <laughs> <laughs> nice way to put it. But I do remember that night. How's this? I I was leaving early the next morning, and I'd packed that afternoon after winning. We and I knew everyone was coming around the house that we were, I was staying at for a party. And um, I quickly packed all my bags and zipped them up and I left my board bag just outside my room um, on the place we're staying. And at about maybe three in the morning, I got up to the toilet and I looked out and right where my board bag was with two guys picking up my board bag and it was stealing my board bag. Yeah, the party was over hours ago and I was like, hey, what are you doing? I raced out and they dropped my board bag and they must have unzipped it and tried to get stuff out and it all just came out and was just scattered in the backyard. And yeah, I remember thinking, I'm so glad I got up and went to the toilet. <laughs> Which is bizarre, Parker, because the first time we met, we were having a chat about Mick at Bell's a few years ago and someone had taken your boards out of your car and just as we were about to sit down, the police rang you and said, we found your boards. And I still laugh at the Cameron today because I, you were just so excited about you were going to get your fins back. You were almost dancing, going, oh, my fins, my fins, my fins. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Fins are <laughs> fins are pretty, you get to come across a good set of fins, you'll right. keep them for a, a lot longer than a board's life, I always thought. Um, and especially at Bells. Bells is a certain way I use these certain fins for. And I remember thinking that I had... I only had one set of them. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to get them shipped down. I'm going to have to, someone's going to have to career them down here. And um, yeah, I guess there's nothing worse than this world than a, someone breaking into your car and no. leaving all your stuff. And uh, just so sure enough, we, as we sat down with that, the cops call and they found everything. And I just wanted my fins back. You did? You are all I still got them. I still got them. Last week's ep featured Olympic superstar Liesl Jones, an amazing lady who has lived both the highs and lows of her sport. I'm usually a pretty happy person. I'm Mm. usually pretty good and pretty chatty and I wasn't myself. I just turned into this person that was crying all the time and I was like, I don't want to train. I don't want to do this. I didn't. We were in Sierra Nevada in Spain and beautiful. Like if I went there now, it would be the most glorious place. I felt like I was in prison, like I was just stuck in my own thoughts and this whirlwind of, like, fog and I can't break out of it. That's Liesl Jones last week on the Howie Games. Back to Joel. What's it like being a professional surfer on the ASP, as it was, and then WSL World Tour? We just see sunshine and waves and perfection. What's it like day to day? Um, it's good. It really is. Like, I mean, a dream. It's a completely a dream job. Like, like you can't say... It almost feels not reality sometimes, huh? you know, um, to be able to say, you know, you, you're so focused on surfing waves and the, 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 everything that comes with surfing, you know, from each break. You, you learn so much about, about the ocean due to swells and winds, tides, all these things. Each wave has, is so different. So you're always learning about 
what it's going to do and trying to guesstimate how it's going to be in two hours when you surf or whatever, when you prepare. Like, that's why Kelly has been so amazing. He, that's why he's won so much is because he's probably experience is one thing, but also his, his ocean awareness and, and knowledge of, of how it's going to be is second to none. You know, that's why I always, you know, pride myself on trying to trying to figure out what, what it's going to do, whether it's dropping, coming up, whether it's going to be lull, is it going to be inconsistent. You know, all these different things the ocean can do to you in 30 minutes is, if you're good at that, that's your, that's a, a huge bonus. In front of a huge crowd at Kira on the Queensland coast, Kelly Slater and Joel Parkinson met in the final of the opening event of the 2013 ASP World Championship Tour. You mentioned Kelly Slater, an 11-time world champion. Some would say he's one of the best athletes there's ever been. Take us into a heat. You're competing against Kelly Slater. There's 15 minutes to go. You're getting your rash vest on across from him. What happens? Oh, that would depend on what era because he's pretty good at playing mind games. Um, I'd probably laugh nowadays at him if he tried to do it. But earlier on when it was, you know, when it was close now and he'd try it, he always go, oh, man, I love you, or he'd tap me on the shoulder or, or he'd come and talk to you. And you know, there, he, he would always try. You know, he already had, he already was that talented <laughs> and, he, and he already knew what the waves were going to be like. Yeah. And then he's also trying to get inside your head. So <laughs> he, was, he probably won a lot of heats before he paddled out in them. And hence the fact he has 11 world titles. And not to mention he, how he was so precise with surfing. And when, when he was, when he put on a show and when it went, like when, when he was on fire, it was just it was just sit back and watch. And look at this crease come up underneath this wave, slows up, but you know what that means? Double up. And sure enough, Slater read it. And look at this. Finds the barrel. And then finds it again. And he is so deep. There's no way. Is he gonna make it? Yes, he does. The crowd goes bananas, and Slater, the showman, once again. Now I remember a performance at J Bay, he won the event one time and I remember it was like watching a two-hour surf movie. It might take someone a year to ever get anything close to the waves. He was doing it, and he was—it was like watching, you know, a full-blown surf movie. And does he talk to you in the water? Does that his mind games yeah, continue? Oh yeah, for sure. He talks in the water. So you what's know, some he saying? People talk. Some people don't. Oh, how was that one? Man, I just got a sick one. I almost came out. All this. You're like, ah, good for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> oh, you, you should have seen. I was so deep. I closed my eyes and I made it. And I'm like, you. Yeah, right, you did. You knew you were making that. You were just talking to me, you were just talking to me for the reason of it. And I, and, I, and I talk a bit in heat too, though, so I don't mind it. Um, Mick won't talk. Mick, we, I'll talk to Mick and Mick. I'm talking to an ice man. Is he? Talk back, yeah. Every now and then you might get a smirk but, but if you say something funny enough, but otherwise he's just the ice man. Your story is a great story, Joel, because you were close so many times before you achieved what you wanted to achieve. Second in the title in 2002, second in the title in 2004. 2009, I'm fascinated by 2009. I think you won three of the first five events yep. and then you went to Bali. Yep, and then, yeah, and I, I blew my ankle apart and... Uh, it, on a wave? On a wave, yeah, I did an air and just completely blew it apart and um, probably tried to limp my way through the rest of the year. I probably should have taken off the, the very next event. You know, I, I was looking at a long surgery or six months out, all this stuff, and I had a gigantuan lead. Mm, miles in front. Miles in front, and then next thing you know, I, I look back now and I had like 21 days to my next event, and I thought, no, nah, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I stayed in a boot, flew to America, was in a boot right up until the morning. Basically took my foot out of the boot and tried to surf, and yeah, it was no good. I probably should have given that another two weeks and taken that event off and come back because it didn't really do any help getting there on that leg. Um, then the next thing you know, it was just unlucky that Mick went on his roll. Mick yeah. went back to back to back on three events and won them and and uh, took a little bit of a lead of the title. And next thing you know, it came down to myself and Mick at Pipe. The pressure's really on Joel. Uh, you know, he really has to, he has to get his best result ever at Pipeline. He has to hope Mick doesn't do anything good. So in that situation, Parko, 
because it's a fascinating thing to be growing up with a bloke, be, you know, one of your best mates and you both want the same thing. How did you and Mick approach a world title race against each other when you're just about best mates? Um, myself and Mick really had some distance. Like that point, our friendship, kind of, we were still mates. You know, the worst thing was we, we live in the same town and we used to go, I couldn't get anywhere without running into him. Like, seriously, I'd pull up at a traffic light and he was at the other side. Like, I'd go and get sushi, he'd be at sushi. Like, I'd go surf Diva, I had all day to surf Diva, he'd be out there, we'd paddle at the same time. Like, it was just ironic. And it, we were just. And every forward. surf shop you drive past, there's a picture of you or Mick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, definitely. So it was just like everywhere we went, we were just. But we were, we were kind of, we were talking, fine. Like, we're all mates, we always will be mates. But we're kind of definitely kept distance um the worst thing was uh i felt sorry for a lot of people in town with in our community with like guess we're taking sides like come on me come on joel and i remember one way to hawaii going like don't be like that like just be and a lot of closer friends that we were closer to were like yeah boys like just put on a show for us you know we don't care of the result it's it's it's, you know, we're both, we're all winning. You know, you've, you, you guys have been amazing and just keep it up. And there was some confidence, but there was a few people taking sides and I was thinking, please don't take sides. <laughs> I love him as much as he loves me. He's one of my best mates. So just, um, yeah, just support us and just see what, the, see what happens. See, what, the, see what, what comes out in the wash. And, and sure enough, I had a shocker straight away and, and Mick was world champ. And um, Before that, you... You pretty much fell from the sky at, at Pipe on your final wave. 38 seconds. Drama. And we're out here to be at the Bonsai Pipeline for the Billabong Pipeline Masters presented by Rockstar. Counting down 25 seconds. The wave is building in front of us. Counting down 18 seconds. Parco with the paddle. In a six. and get through yeah no, that, was, that wave was not a very good wave I was way too far I, just, I actually just was hoping to just throw myself over and right I just wanted to I was I was so angry that I didn't care if I was gonna hit the reef or whatever I was just because really, you knew I knew it was over at that point so I just dove at it and just, I remember just being screaming underwater um, screaming ran to the, my house ran up and I, I punching the wall so hard I was so angry and um, and Mick was in the water because he was the next heat and Mick was you know jumping around for joy and um, and I remember thinking you know like I just I had a mate say to me you got to go down there you got to go and see him when he gets in you know he's he had about 10 minutes to go. I was just like, I, at that point, I was just livid. Like, I was so angry with myself and was never going to, never thought I'd be able to get myself to get up out of the house and move. And then I just went, no, I've got to, he's one of my mates, I've got to go down there. And ran down there and met him at the water's edge when he came in and, and cheered him up. As soon as I did that, I just felt so much relief and just like, I knew I'd, I'd done the right thing. I was like, mate, of course I'd be there for you and congratulations. And, um, he, and we went, mate, put a smile on my face straight away. Right. And I was happy for the rest of the day just knowing that it didn't matter if what I got, it, that one of my best mates was world champion. I think because in some ways Parko surfing, it's become more mainstream, but it's probably not a mainstream sport. I, I was watching that and I remember thinking that is one of the greatest acts of sportsmanship. Now, you're, you're a humble man, I get that, but it's one of the greatest acts of sportsmanship I've ever seen because... At one moment, you were snapping your board and punching the wall in the shower, and the next moment, you had to gather yourself to go and lift up your mate for the second time who'd achieved your life's dream. Yeah, um, I guess so. Yeah, it was a weird one like that. It's, it, it's really weird that each time he's won, I've been in the water with him. Mm. I've, apart from his last one, actually. He, I wasn't, I was on the beach, but... The first two that we won, we were both in the water. Like, the second one that he won, it was me and him neck and neck. 
and he wins and I'm in the water, you know, 20 feet from him. And it, it, it's, it, maybe it's just the way it meant to be. And it was, uh, it was really cool to, I guess, to share that moment. I look back now and I think, you know, it's, it's one you tell your grandkids about. Absolutely. 2011, Kelly wins another world title. You come second again. So at, at the end of 2011, Joel, you've come second four times. Now, second in the world is an amazing thing, but it's not first. Yeah, yep. So how are you dealing with the fact you just keep getting pipped and time's running out, you're getting older? Um, well, well, 2009 and 2011, I can honestly say they, those were the years that I really had knuckled down to win a world title. So they were the harder ones. The early ones, 2002, I was not even in a pit journey anyway. I, I wasn't, I couldn't, I wasn't not in world title contention. I basically won the last one. I won one in Sunset and, right. and just kind of stumbled my way to second. So that, Andy was out Andy in front. Andy was already way out in front. And 2004 was the same. So I kind of just had a solid run home to, to get to second. Uh, but then the 2009-11 were, were, you know, they were adamant tries and they were near misses. So I, 2004, uh, 2000, sorry, 2011, getting my fourth runner-up and equaling Shane Horan as the four-time runner-up, I was fastly becoming Australia's greatest, you know, bridesmaid or best loser in surfing. Best surfer not to win a world title, which I think would be a tough thing to hear. Yes, definitely, definitely. would Would have been really hard to hear. So 2012 comes along. And it's you and the king. He's going for world title number 3,752. Yeah. <laughs> You're going for... He was going for 12, wasn't he? He's going That's for 12. He yeah. was going for 12. So we talked about Kelly earlier on. It comes to Pipeline, and it's the greatest finish to a surfing season because there's two guys. It's the final event. It's the best wave. It's the biggest wave. It's the meanest wave. And one's going to be world champion and one's not. And you've come second four times. Yeah. <laughs> Probably... Good chance I was going to lose to get another second, <laughs> but I wasn't. So how did you not think that way, mate? I was just adamant I wasn't going to lose. That morning of the event, I there was a meteor shower across pipe at like 5.45 in the morning, just, just about to crack light, and I was just like, oh, it's going to be a good day. My day started with that, and it started with I paddled out, usually paddle out on the pipe side, I paddled out on the other side of pipe through back door and got out without barely getting my hair wet and went straight into a really good wave and got a really barreled, beautiful morning. It was almost like it all slowed down and I remember thinking, that's how you start the day. Right. And I was like, uh, put me in a really good frame of mind. I had no nerves. Um, um, it was Mick come over there and in that morning, I'll never forget, he was checking on me just like making sure like, I guess emotionally you're all settled and I was in a good frame of mind and I had just this will to win. I wasn't going to lose that day. Um, and, yeah, I guess the, the, that's the way it happened. Semi-final, though, was it against one of the Hobgoods? You were it behind? Was. Yep. And I still remember seeing shots of your wife on the beach and watching, thinking, he's going to come second for the fifth time here. Yeah. I don't... I don't that's how it looked at that stage. Nine and a half minutes to go. We all know the story. Kelly has already progressed through to the semi-finals. If Joel doesn't make the final here, Kelly Slater will be the world champion. What are you thinking out in the water? Um, I remember thinking there's still a chance. There's no way. Uh, he had a good lead with 15 to go. I got a good left. Got out and I got this really nice inside double up. He's looking at this little wave here. What's it got? He takes off, pulls into the back door, coming flying through, comes out of that one. So Joel Parkinson, in the space of about two minutes, has had two good backdoor waves. You're going to have to let the judges work this out. I remember I got like a nine and come out of the barrel and it was into the final. And um, I don't know, it was just that year I'd had, I'd had a couple of really close. Heat. I remember one in particular at in California at the event there. I I felt like I was surfing as good as I could. Mm-hmm. I was top scoring every round. Like I was kind of I was on point on everything. Kelly was surfing not too bad. He he had some lucky heats, you know, where guys didn't really stand up and do much. But um, I got to the final and it went flat on me and not a wave broke. And I was like, 
I deserved to win that event. There was a couple I had second, second. I was making finals and semis, but I wasn't getting a win. And I got to pipe, and I was like, if I'm going to win, I've got to win it. I need to win an event. To, you can't go through a world title year and not win an event. And um, so that was kind of in my mind. It wasn't really the world title. I started thinking too about events and where I could have done better mm-hmm. and where I was going to make that heat and get to that final. So your old mate, Josh Kerr, who I reckon got banged up on the reef that morning. Yeah. He's going to surf against Kelly and then the final, if it's you and Kelly, the final wins pipe wins and it, yeah. wins the world title. How are you going watching one of your mates surf against Kelly Slater? Because if your mate beats him, then you're the world champion. Yeah. There's amazing shots of you. Kelly had an amazing, amazing um, quarterfinal right before it. So an hour before, he puts on a clinic on Shane Dorian. Like, yep. huge scores. Anyway, I was thinking, oh, you know, the king is doing his thing again. Here we go. <laughs> the king. <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, oh, all right, here we go. It's currently time now. And then always in Hawaii, when I was talking to you about how, how waves, you learn a little bit about each wave, when it's good, what happens. There's always this weird windy trade wind when it's a trade wind like that, that around, I always say around three o'clock, it turns to, it turns almost like the wind turns more, more north and comes onshore and makes a mess. And it turns bad till we call golden hour from about four or quarter past four till dark where it cleans back up. And sure enough, Kelly paddled out right when the north winds kind of kick in. I don't know whether it's because the land heats up a lot mm-hmm. and it creates more of an onshore effect before it cools back down in the afternoon and it just went to absolute, like, crap the waves. And I was <laughs> like, yes. Curry started with his good wave. He got a, an eight or so. After that, they both couldn't even find a two or a three. And I was just going, it got worse and worse with that heat. I was just going, what were you doing? I was just pacing, just burning holes in the wall floor. And just Did you lock yourself in the bathroom? I was walking. I was doing everything. I was just trying not to focus, trying not to think about it. I was just doing circles. Kept just for that, you know, I was in there watching, kept looking, going, no, don't look, you know, load, look, just don't get, what, how long we got? You know, you know I was just, <laughs> I was just a mess, I suppose, just screaming into a pillow, just doing everything, poking my head out, not sure what's happening, not sure, and then um, it just started ticking away. I remember it was seven minutes, fives, and then I started going like every 20 seconds. How long's left? I got to like three and Kelly was needing a huge score. You know, I never would have thought that with three minutes left in this, in this heat that he would have such low scores. He's got a three and a couple twos and that's it. Joel Parkinson is 52 seconds away from winning his first world title. And it looked like the ocean just was not gonna offer anything. Next thing you know, I, that's it, it went, you know, 10, nine, eight. Five, four, three, two, one. We have a new world champion and his name is... I'm so stoked for Joel Parkinson. So stoked, congratulations to Joel Parkinson. And away we went. Away we went, what does that mean? What is it like after being so close to the top, Joel, to actually getting there? Yeah, it's just a surreal moment because, like, four runner-ups went away. All the... There was so many ups and downs, I guess, injuries too that I went through. Um, especially in Hawaii, for hugging uh, Lindy Irons, uh, Andy's wife, after we'd, we'd lost Andy in 2010, it was really close. And it was so, so bittersweet, you know. It was so nice to have a moment of such joy and you know, a bit of relief too. And everyone was so happy. And you know, people were. You know, it felt like even though I won the world title, it felt like theirs too, you know. Let's hear it for your world champion, Joel Parkinson. More of Parko in a moment. Next week on the Howie Games, one of Australia's most controversial, most polarising athletes, Anthony Mundine, ahead of his fight versus Jeff Horn. The man, I reckon he'll surprise you. 
In previous series, we have mentioned private Howie Games podcasts. If you have loved ones, friends, someone that has inspired you, or someone close to you whose story you want to be recorded for posterity, please send us an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's Howie, H-O-W-I-E, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. We'll try and organise for me to sit down and have a chat just like a normal episode. It's not for broadcast, but for a family memory. All right, back to Joel. You mentioned Andy Irons there, who was one out of the box, triple world champion, a very good friend of yours. How did it affect you when he passed away? Because he obviously he had his problems, Joel. Earlier today, we, we received the news uh, confirming Andy Irons had passed away whilst en route home to his home in Kauai. Um, you know, we're, we're very, very deeply saddened and um, in mourning at the moment. We're all grieving and our thoughts and best wishes go out to the family and, and, all, and all his friends. Um, it affected a lot of people and me in particular. The worst thing was I was injured here at home and we were he was here training and surfing in July and we were meant to go July 10th, we were meant to go to Africa to go to J-Bay and July 9th I cut my foot off here yeah. surfing and um, yeah, and he's like, oh, no, like, well, I'll see you later, you know. And, yeah, no worries, I'll, I'll, I'll probably, I might be out by for two weeks. I might make the last event in Puerto Rico. Probably won't. I'll just see you in Hawaii when I get there in November. And, yeah, that was the last time I saw Andy due to... I would have loved to have been there and, um, you know, I guess checked on him, but you never think like that. You know, everyone always has that of, you know, the what ifs, there's no, there's no point in that. So um, it was hard not to be on tour at that time in Puerto Rico when, when he passed because all the guys on the tour looked like they were hurting so hard. Um, Did it I've, shock you when you found out? It shocked me when he passed, yeah. It, it, I mean, we all knew he had his struggles, man. He, he was very bipolar and had a lot of, you know, had a lot of mental issues and he used to get a lot of noise in his head and... But when he left here, after a couple of weeks of training and surfing, he was such in a healthy mind frame. And it was, you know, three months later he passed, and or two and a half months. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's still one of the one that I guess cuts cuts you out, you know, losing a friend to such a battle. But um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know what else to say on that one. How do you approach it? Um, and we'll talk about your family and how much you spend on tour. How, how do you approach, as a dad, that discussion with your kids about staying safe and alcohol and drugs and the issues that it can cause to people? Yeah, I, I know we're starting to... My, my oldest is 14 now, yep. and it's definitely starting to be a, uh, a topic in our house of, of moderation, uh, I understand uh, kids today, the challenges are probably, mm. you know, y- you wonder how different, I don't know, as a parent I'm starting to wonder how different when I was 14 is the world to what my daughter is completely, and kids are going. I know. And do I have, <laughs> I guess you're saying, do I actually have your finger on the pulse? Like, do you think you know it? Mm. But do, like, I used to think as a 14 year old, I got my parents, what, you know, fooled, I'm sweet. But I think back going, actually, probably, they probably weren't. They, they were pretty onto it. Um, and I guess, um, yeah, parenting's one of those things. I mean, as a, at a, at a teenager, it's every day, it's a new chapter, mm. it's, it's different. Uh, it's a lot easier when they're below 10, I think. Yeah. It's more, it's, it's a lot less stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how did you. Because you're, you're remarkably, Joel, um, and I've got tremendous admiration, the fact that you, you took your family with you from a young age. You're a young father and, and your beautiful wife and you've got... How many kids? Three. You've got three kids. What's it like when you're trying to compete as an athlete? You arrive at the airport with 15 bags, you've got strollers, you've got nappies, you've got 10 surfboards, you've got street screaming kids. H- how do you do what you're meant to do with all that going on? Um, well, I was pretty young. I was... I was 23 when I first had Evie um, and so as it went on it, it just 
it just became second nature to travel my family. I really learned at a young age, you know, to be able to just go surfing cap, dad cap. Right. And plus it gave me a lot longer longevity to not going insane by spending so much time away. I took them with me where I could and bit the ball, you know, it's, it's not a, a cheap exercise. And I was like, it, it's worth doing. For me, it was worth doing. Now, if we're going on a big leg, we're doing it, we'll go together because otherwise I'll get to week four and I'll be... I'll be a spun duck and won't be <laughs> how am I going to compete you know you know, you, all you're thinking of is one thing at home and and the worry too so it was it was really I mean I still travel here and there you know where I've got to on your own but try and limit that as as least as possible and, and be a part of their life too you know it's um, I was lucky enough to be able to do that and I, and I thank everyone that supported me enough to be able to do that because yeah. it's not a cheap exercise. And, um, What's the biggest excess baggage you've been stung with? Because with prams and surfboards and... Actually, no, kids, they, they don't... They, Are you good with the kids? With kids, you're good. Right. Yeah, it's when, when you're on your own. And, and you roll up the 12 surfboards? You roll up with two bags of boards that are 32 kilos and a bag, <laughs> another bag, and that's when they get you. When you especially, you know, after travelling a lot with family, you kind of get to know that. You're happy if your kid's crying when you walk up to check-in because they want you out of there quick. It's, there's all little tricks to travel. There's a tip. Can you just start crying now? Hey, just a quick pinch. Anyway, you go. No, I never did it. I, I, we tossed the idea up. How do you deal with fear? Because you've surfed some, you know, you've seen mates cop it at pipe. You've surfed that ridiculous wave in Portugal. How do you deal with fear? Um, Do you feel fear when it's like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, if fear is one of the best drivers. Is it? Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I mean, you love it. I guess you love you love the rush of it, mm. you know. Like, um, choke or anything. It's, it's just that nervous energy of knowing it's big or wherever you're going. It's, the reward is amazing. You just want to get one. But if you fall, you know, yeah, I, I mean, you, I, I remember thinking, I'm always going to survive. I could really do some damage, but I'm going to survive. And uh, I don't know, you just enjoy it. You've got to find a way to stay calm. You know, I think the guys, are, guys around the world now are having such horrific wipeouts. Yeah. And when I read the story, it really, I really like to draw on the fact that they always start with the relaxing underwater and all those things. And... Uh, once you get calm with that, uh, you know, I'm not surfing 50-foot jaws or whatever, but I'm, I'm, you know, accidents do happen in any size of waves, but, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm ex- I, I, like, every time someone goes, you get scared, every time I think about it, I go, oh, I love those days, because the other days, you know, the waves are good and big and you're, you're out there. What's been the biggest uh-oh moment in your career? Oh, moment in my career. Competing or non-competing? As far as fear goes, non-competing. When you've been in the water, you're thinking, <laughs> have you got to the point where you're thinking, I'm in massive trouble, serious trouble, enormous trouble? Where, where, how far down the scale have you gone? Oh. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I've had a couple, I suppose. Actually, I actually had a bad one years ago. Um, I was up in Indo and surfed this wave. It was quite solid, quite a big day. Anyway, I... I, on the last section of the wave, it gets a bit shallow and kind of, it was nasty. And I had, a, for some reason, I did the weirdest fall. I fell and the leg rope went around my neck Ooh. and, like, uh, noosed me, hung me bad. But at the same time, I'm just getting throttled and I've lost my, lost my strides. So I'm nude, getting noosed. And weird way to go. Weird way. I was thinking that. I was thinking some famous Aussie singing went like this too. Correct. <laughs> so I was just like, hey, I'm starting to, trying to swim, but I couldn't. I'm, I'm trying to pull the, the, the leg rope to try and loosen it off my neck. I was just getting ragdolled. And then I bounced off the bottom, just cut my back, all my butt. And I just couldn't get the board because it's floating and yeah. I had to pull weights for me down. And I'm just going, what? what? For a while, and mate, I, it was sweet. I came up with cut up and with a bruised, really bruised neck, and uh, took a while, rattled me up a bit. But I just thought, mate, that is just the awkwardest. Mm. How do you 
How did I get myself there? Australian Parkinson's, uh, Joel Parkinson, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately passed away without his board shorts yeah, on. I don't call it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Of yeah. There's a certain name for that, but anyway. So yeah, did so. you continue to surf nude or did you go up the beach nude? No, I, made my, I did go, you know, I got my leg rope off, sorted out my board shorts and cleaned my back up and, yeah, and uh, then jumped back, got back in the water. You're soon to surf for the first time if, uh, in a professional event um, in a wave pool. Yes. What do you reckon? What is it like? What's Kelly's wave pool like? Because um, when it, we were talking about it before we sat down, when he first sent out that video, it's amazing. I guess it's a, it's amazing. It's a, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, I uh, there's definitely going to be some challenges uh, with with the wave pool stuff, but it's also going to be it's it's just another aspect of surfing. You know, you can't you can't judge it because it's not surfing. You know, it's pool riding. You know, surf is in the ocean, mm. surfers in a pool. So it's just another aspect, you know. I guess you've got to really differentiate what those, you, one, that we're just having an event in a pool, but the real events are, you know, the Chopers and Jeffrey's Bay's pipes, all those things. But yeah, that's just another way of, just another little channel of surfing at... Uh, and what's it like to surf? It's awesome to surf. Is it? Yeah. Uh, it, it does concern me that... Um, you know, like we were saying, oh, I could watch perfect pipe yep. for three days yep. and watch guys, you know, hucking themselves into 10 to 12 foot pipe, going for it. And, you know, you'd see carnage of barrels, guys not making it, guys getting the waves of their lives and all those things you can get. In the pool, you're probably going to see the same thing a lot over and over. And it's going to be a little bit monotonous. And after three days of, of watching, I guess the true surf fans will probably stick it out. Um, but some, you know... Some people probably go, I might get up and do something else. When you're retired from surfing, so you can spend more time surfing, you've also got an unlikely scenario with some of your mates where you can go to your own brewery and drink beer. <laughs> yeah. I think retirement's sounding pretty good, Parker. I don't know. I, I know. I it's, it's a pretty good setup. It, it is. I mean, I'm still going to be paid to surf, and then I still. I have, you know, we're lucky enough we've started a brewery. I don't know what next venture it's going to be. You're a good catch. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're a good catch. How, how did the brewery come to pass? Um, basically, in Hawaii a few years ago, the boys, um, V Durbridge had an idea and basically, uh, yeah, after a few beers, it just flourished into... Let's start a brewery. <laughs> As it does. And the next thing you know, we um, we found a startup guy and he came aboard and gave us a business plan and we we got it together and yeah, next thing you know, we um, and now we're we're all over the country. Um, Bolter. Bolter beer is which means um, what? It means to dance freely with no skill or grace. <laughs> Something you're so, good at. Uh, well, after a few bolts, it's not really good. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the, what, tell me about the beer. What's it taste like? What am I getting? Um, we're a craft beer. So um, we... Oh, I'm going to take you out and have one. Can't so wait. We're, yeah, we're going to go and have I one. Can't wait. I'll let you judge yourself. All right, okay. So we're a craft beer. We have about three beers in market, four beers in market. With, we do a few sessionables um, and seasonal beer beers too. Through, And we, yeah, I, we, I didn't know a lot about beer at the time apart from yeah there it is um, but it's been an amazing learning learning curve uh, not just from beer but also from business and, and starting um, starting our own business and how how that side of the world works too it's been a great great journey for us all and um, you know I guess after surfing or spending a lot more time at the brewery helping out helping out Helping out, yeah, helping out, <laughs> just helping out, boys. <laughs> um, frequent listeners to the Howie Games, Joel, know that I often get my uh, children to ask questions of the guests. Yes, um, you've got awesome. A, 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 I've got a six-year-old, the big penguin. That's he made his own nickname, and a eight-year-old called uh, the pickle, who is my daughter. And we had a chat. We always have a chat about who the person is and we look at some videos and then whoever's most enthused gets to ask the question. Well, I can tell you that they, uh, being little yeah. coastal kids, they were both enthused, so they both wanted to ask a question. So you get Mac, otherwise known as the Big Penguin first. Joel, here we go. Awesome. Hi, Parker. 
Marco, big penguin here. I'm six, and when I go surfing, I'm always looking for barrels. How, but I never got one. How old were you when you first got your barrel? <laughs> He's always um, flat. He's like, are we going to get barrel today, Dad? I'm like, mm, not sure, mate. Okay. Um, best advice I ever had, right? Yep. About a barrel, Mac, is when you're inside it, when I was a kid, I used to put my head between my legs and duck and like that. I remember I got told, don't look there, you've got to look up to where it actually breaks from because right. you'll, you'll be actually able to put your head into the right place and where your head goes, your body goes. So always have a little think about not looking down, looking up. Okay. So how old were you? I was probably 36. <laughs> he was just uh, now, the pickle. Uh, who does get cold down in the southern waters of uh, Australia. This is what she had for you, Parco. Hi, Parco. Pickle here. We live in Bowen Heads and it gets really cold when you want to go for a surf. And we have to wear a four-mule wetsuit. It's really annoying. And my brother sometimes wears in his wetsuit to keep warm. What's the coldest place you've ever surfed in? Oh, the coldest place I've ever surfed in would be... Oh, I actually went, I did a, a winter trip in the middle of June. I went to the bottom of Chile, Ooh, down south, Patagonia. down in Chile. Not, not quite Patagonia, but down south. Right. About. Flew into Santiago and then drove quite a heck of the way down. And amazing place, such beautiful. But there was one morning I'll never forget that we had this cold front come through and we got up, we knew the way was going to be good. And we got the car bogged and we had our weddies on already and our boots and everything. And we were bogged the bogged the car in this little creek, all the puddles were just frozen next to it. <laughs> it was, I don't know how the water would have been, I don't know how cold, but we are in five, five mils, boots, gloves, the whole deal, and, and uh, that was cold. Is it an allowable thing to do to wee in your wetsuit to warm up? Completely allowable. <laughs> I only got two more questions for you. You've been so good with your time. You can have one way to surf on its perfect day at the perfect time by yourself anywhere on the planet. You can only choose one. Where are you going? Cloud break. Cloud break. I think you'd find a majority of, probably even more, more around guys my age would say, I think cloud break on its day is the best way in the world. I was looking back at some old magazines and a surfing life from a long time ago had a picture of you on the cover and it said, I want to be the funnest surfer ever. Do you reckon you achieved it? Um, yeah, I reckon I'm going to. I'll let you know when I'm about 76 and I'll have my last surf probably. 80, who knows how old. I'll hopefully I'll surf till I'm 80 years old and I'll be still saying that. And you'll still be a world champion? I will, you know. I, I, uh, that's one that I'll always, you know, I'll be on the history books for that one. And you'll own a brewery. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy some free beers. You're going good. Thanks, Thanks. Marco. Cheers, Howie. Thanks a lot, mate. No, mate. Spot on. No worries. Thanks to Parker and good luck to the great man at Pipeline in Hawaii where Joel will retire at events end, hopefully after he wins it. Thanks to the guru, Michael James, for once again getting the show to air. He is on fire, MJ, at the moment. Ratings on his radio show are flying as well, so he's pretty happy with the world. Until next Thursday when the man, Anthony Mundine, appears on the show, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener